Easter day on Christ, the bread of heaven. All throughout Lent, these last 40 days, if you've been following our series, then you know that we have been following the gifts that God gives to His people. For ours is a God who is a giver of gifts. In Christ Jesus, He has given us such things as ashes, light, water, bread, wine, blood, oil, all these things which point us to Christ our Lord, in whom we are privileged to receive such gifts from our God. Think back all the way to the very beginning of the Holy Scriptures, to the book of Genesis. Think of the picture that was painted of the Garden of Eden. There in that place, in perfect harmony with their Lord, Adam and Eve ate and drank freely of all the fruit of the garden. They lacked for nothing, for God was all in all to them. He met all of their needs of body and of soul. But then we know what happened in Genesis 3. Sin entered into the picture. Satan in disguise the serpent tempted the woman and she took a bite of the fruit. And then the man when he saw that she had eaten, ate as well. And from that moment on, mankind lived under the curse of sin. No longer did he eat freely from the fruit of the garden out of the bounty of his God. But as we read, he had to sweat and toil to earn his daily bread. It seemed like mankind's days of feasting were over. But the expulsion from paradise, from the Garden of Eden, did not mean that God would stop giving his people gifts. In fact, from the very moment of their sin, God laid the plan for man's salvation. To the servant, he promised the offspring of the woman, he will crush your head and all you will do to him be to crush his heel. Christ on the cross is the very fulfillment of this promise. He has accomplished this for us. But before the Christ came, God still made his work and joy and bounty known even to his people who looked ahead to that covenantal fulfillment. In the passage we read from Exodus, we saw Moses encounter the Lord God in the burning bush. And there, as he did, God spoke to him with a word of promise, much like the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3. For at that time, his people lived under the yoke of slavery under the wicked Pharaoh. And to them, God promised, you will come out of the house of Pharaoh, out of the house of slavery, and where? To a land flowing with milk and honey. Think to those people who heard from their fathers and their forefathers about the land of milk and honey that was Eden. How paradise was lost to them in sin. And now God comes to them through his servant Moses, promising to take them out of the place which their sin had earned them, this place of slavery, and into a new land. The land of Canaan. The land which was currently occupied, which he would deliver into their hands, a land flowing with milk and honey. God made good on his promise. He drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea and led his people Israel safely to the other side on dry ground. There they 
they witnessed the entrance to this promised land. But we know, too, that this would not last. For God's people, Israel, were a stubborn people, a hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. They frequently grumbled and complained against the Lord their God and even threatened to kill his servant Moses. For this the Lord had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Many who witnessed the exodus from Egypt would not be the generation to set foot in the promised land, but still God keeps his promise. For to Joshua, Moses' successor, to his generation, he did deliver the land of Canaan. He established them as his people in a new land, a bountiful land, a land in which they would become a great and mighty nation. But still the people grumbled. They would not live in a nation which was governed only by the Lord their God, but they wanted a king, like all the other nations. So God gave them a king. He gave them Saul, or Saul. And as Saul was anointed, so at first he did the will of the Lord. He made known his will to the people, but Saul grumbled. Saul complained. Saul desired more than the authority which God had given him. So God raised up a new king, King David. To David, he made great promises that the line of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from his household. But David, like all of us, was a sinner. He too fell short. He too did his own will and not the will of God. But unlike King Saul, David repented. And God's promise did not depart from his house. God kept his word to David, and from him came generations that led to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ, at long last, as we have heard throughout these 40 days of Lent, completed the messianic task to perfection. He and he alone was the one righteous man who could perfectly obey the will of the Father. He had no hardness of he was not stiff-necked or stubborn, but he relented and did perfectly according to his Father's will. Even as we heard on Monday, Thursday, and on Good Friday, Lord, he prayed, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And in so doing, he went to Calvary's cross, whereon he perfectly satisfied the full wrath of God against the sin of mankind. Leveled out not against us who had earned it, but against his only begotten Son, that one righteous man who suffered in our place as a propitiatory sacrifice for all our transgression. As Christ hung naked on the cross, a great exchange was made. His death meant our life. His suffering meant our joy. As he bore the sins of all mankind, we were given the very image of his righteousness. And after his three-day rest in the tomb, because Christ is true God, and because death could not contain him, he burst forth in newness of life. The resurrected Christ, as we appeared, as we read, appeared first to the two Marys. He spoke to them in their fear. Do not be afraid. 
But go and tell my disciples to go ahead to Galilee, and there they will see me. The promise of the resurrection was kept, and now his disciples who hid in fear would share in this Easter feast of victory. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, just as the disciples were urged, do not be afraid, so also we who have lived in the darkness and death of sin are likewise encouraged, do not be afraid. Do not grumble. Do not be hard of heart. Do not be stubborn and set in your own ways. But here again, the good news of Christ who was crucified and is now risen for you. In Him we have full pardon for our sins. In Him we have been brought back into a new paradise, a new land flowing with milk and honey. In Him we are given the promise not just of a feast today, but a feast Still to come. When our bodies, like Christ's body, will rise from the tomb on the last day, we will be seated at the heavenly banquet hall where we will join in the feast of the Lamb without end. Today we celebrate, we raise our voices and call out Alleluia with joy, celebrating the resurrection miracle. But even as we do, we acknowledge that this feast which we have today at this altar is but a foretaste of that still greater feast to come. In Christ, you have been made heirs of the kingdom of God. You have been given the whole estate of your Lord and Savior, Jesus. And by virtue of his suffering and death for you, you have been given the right to come to the Lord's table to feast abundantly, here in time and there in eternity. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if we keep the feast this day, we do so looking ahead to that great and glorious day when we will be seated around that banquet table with all those who have gone before us in this Christian faith. A resurrection of our bodies and a reunification with those we love who have entered into glory. Until that day, let us keep the feast in sincerity and truth, trusting the promises of God are good indeed. For Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. May the peace of God which far surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.